Father, we thank you for that cross. We thank you for what Jesus accomplished there for us. We are here today and can only stand before you because of the cross. There's nothing good in us. It's all in Christ. We pray as we study your word together that you would impress upon us your grace, the God that you are, and the people that we are, how much we need you and your grace. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Haggai once again this morning. And if you found Zechariah a little bit ago, Haggai's just before that. We're going to be looking at the third message that God revealed through the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. And since this is a fairly unfamiliar book to probably all of us, I thought we would do a little bit of background again, just to uh, make sure we're all reminded of where we are and why God brought these things to his people. Uh, Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah had been defeated several years before by the Babylonians. Uh, The people were uh, carried off into captivity, and God told them, he warned them several times through the prophets that he sent that that was exactly what was going to happen. Because of their rebellion, because they kept going back to idols, God kept his promise, and they were carried away from their land uh, as captives of Babylon. Along with all of those warnings, God graciously kept giving them promises that even though this is going to happen, I'm not going to completely cast you off. You're still my people. I will bring you back to the land. God kept that promise. Uh, Through the Persian king Cyrus, God stirred his spirit And he freed the Israelites to go back. Whoever wanted to could go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So about 50,000 Jews went back to Jerusalem, intent on that purpose. They got started building the temple. They got the foundation complete. Then they faced some opposition. And with that opposition, they just gave up. They turned their attention to their own interests and they put their efforts into making their own houses. They worked hard on those houses, made them as comfortable as they could be for themselves to live in for 16 years. Their attention was on their own houses. They left God's house in a pile of rubble. That was the occasion of God's first message, the prophet Haggai, chapter 1, we looked at two weeks ago. That their priorities were all wrong. He didn't say it was wrong for them to have a nice house. It was a matter of priorities. God has to be first. They had put themselves first. God has to be first. And their wrong priorities was why nothing was going right with them. They just had problem after problem after problem. Uh, primarily came in the form of droughts. Year after year of droughts, and they just didn't have enough food. They were poor. They didn't have enough clothes to keep them warm when it got cold. 
year after year after year. God said it's because of your wrong priorities. They, They got the message. They got to work on the temple. Well, it didn't take long before they got discouraged in that work. About a month. And the reason for their discouragement was because they were looking back. The older generations that could remember that first temple, they were discouraged because this temple was so much smaller. So much less impressive than that last temple was. And everybody got discouraged. Because things just aren't what they used to be. Well, God encouraged them in his second message in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, that the smaller size and the lack of decoration of this temple did not hinder his plans for moving forward. God would accomplish his will. And he wanted them to know that the best was yet to come. Part of that prophecy that he gave them was a mystery to them, but From our perspective, looking back, we can know he was talking about the Messiah. The Messiah was coming. That old temple couldn't hold a candle to the Messiah. God's plan is moving forward. So they got back building on that temple. We saw those verses in Zechariah that Rixie read for us. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. If you're keeping a calendar here of when these things happen, we read there in chapter 1, God's message to Haggai, then beginning of chapter 2. The first message was somewhere in August, second message around the middle of September. The message to Zechariah about the middle of November. About two months after what we looked at last week. The same people. And we saw there in Zechariah that some things were still not right. Because God called on the people to repent. He said, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. They're still working on the temple as far as we know. But something wasn't right. There was something between them and God. Well, about one month later, middle of December, now comes this third message from Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Let's start in verse 10. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, stop there for a second. This was around December 18th. Again, that date gives us some insight into what was going on around that time. A few more of the late fall crops had now been harvested. Those late fall crops were still being affected by the drought that they had had that past summer. So the consequences of their misplaced priorities that they've had for all of those years, they were still feeling those consequences. Now there in mid-December, it was time to plant for their spring crops. 
And it seems that the occasion of this message was that the people were asking, where's our blessing? And they were saying to themselves, we're doing the right thing now. We're building the temple again. That's what God wants. Why isn't everything better? And since we've been working on the temple, what about now? How's it going to be for this next crop? Is it going to be better? Every, every time they planted, year after year, we saw in chapter 1, they had high expectations. This year it's going to be better. Year after year, it wasn't. Another drought. What about this year? We're building the temple now. Is it going to be better? As they looked around, life now is still hard. Why is that? God answers that question. Verse 11. Starting in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests for a ruling. And nothing strange going on here is what God said to do if there was a question someone had about the law, go to the priests. They're supposed to be studied up on the law, be able to interpret it and apply it. If you've got a question about the law, go to the priests. This is a question about the law. God sent Haggai to the priests. Verse 12. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? Kind of a strange picture there, isn't it? It's not something we experience every day. What is he talking about? What is this holy meat? You ever eaten holy meat before? I've had some pretty good meat. But I don't know if I'd say it was holy. <laughs> this is something that was set apart to God. This was meat that came from an animal that had been given as a sacrifice to God. Anything that belongs to God, if it's His, it's holy. This meat, because it was set apart for God, was holy. Now, if a priest was in the process of butchering an animal, that's something I hadn't really thought too much about before. I read this past week that that was kind of the primary duty of a priest was to be a butcher. It was the main thing they spent their time doing, butchering animals. But if they had a butcher's apron on of some kind, maybe had a pocket in it for carrying some of this meat. He had a piece of meat from this sacrifice in the pocket of that apron. That holy meat. This is the question. If that apron touched some other food, would the holiness from that first meat be passed on to what it touched? The priest answered, no. Okay, that was the right answer. That's what the the law says, holiness does not get passed on that way. Okay, verse 13. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And what about the other way? If someone has been defiled, either unclean, touching a corpse was one of the ways that could happen in the law. And then they touch some of that just plain old food. 
would that uncleanness get passed on to what they touched? The priest answered, it will become unclean. Again, that's the right answer. That's what the law says. What they are saying is, holiness is not contagious. You cannot become holy by being around holy things. But uncleanness is very contagious. This uncleanness, that's a picture of sin. This is what sin does. Sin stains everything it comes into contact with. Sin is like a disease. Suppose you had 21 people in a room. 20 of them were very strong, healthy people. One of them had the flu. Would the health of those 20 people get passed on to that person with the flu? Is that the way it works? No. What you're going to have is probably 21 people with the flu. That's the way sickness works. That's the way disease works. That's the way sin works. How did you become a sinner? It's pretty easy, wasn't it? In fact, you didn't have to do anything. It was passed on to you from your parents. They were infected by it from their parents. All the way back to Adam. It has been spread and passed on. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. We all sinned in Adam. And death and sin, sin nature has been passed on generation after generation after generation. Sin affects everything. But holiness, it doesn't get passed on that way. Well, that's all very interesting, but what's the point? Why is he telling us this? Look at verse 14. Then Haggai said, so is this people. And so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and what they offer there." is unclean. Now these people thought that because they were now working on the temple, they were doing something holy. They were doing God's work. This is God's house. They were doing the right thing. So now God should be pleased with them and bless them. And even further than that, we go clear back to when they came back to Jerusalem right at the beginning, 16 years ago. The first thing they did when they got there is they they built an altar. They didn't have the temple, so there were a lot of things from the law that they couldn't do, but they had an altar so they could offer sacrifices to God. So probably for those 16 years, they'd take a break from working on their houses. They'd go and present an offering to God. They'd go back work on their houses some more to make them nice and comfortable. They were going through the motions. All those 16 years, they were doing something. And even more so now, because now they're working on the temple. So why hasn't God blessed them? Why are things still hard? What about today? What about us? 
There are many people. The more I thought about this, the more discouraged I became thinking about this. I think there are a lot of people today who assume that they must be good with God because of things they're doing. Because they go to church on Sunday. Maybe Saturday for some. They do a, a few rituals. Recite a few prayers. They've been baptized. They take communion. They can check all of these things off their list that they have done. And when I say they, please understand I could mean we. As Haggai, as God has told us through Haggai, consider your ways. Where is your heart? What are you trusting in that has made you okay with God? It's not just something that happens out there. It can be easy for us to focus more on our performance than on our relationship with God. We see in these verses, coming into close proximity with holy things or doing holy things that doesn't make a person holy. Going to a church service doesn't make you holy. Participating in some activities does not make you holy. We saw there in in Zechariah chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. You see it now in Haggai chapter 2 verse 14. That even though these people were doing the right things, there was still a problem between them and God. There was a need for real, genuine repentance. That's what was missing. If their feet were in the right place, their hands were doing the right work, but their heart wasn't right with God. Instead of that work making them holy, their sinful hearts actually defiled the work that they did. That's the way sin works. That's what God said in verse 14. He said, and so is, this is the end of verse 14, so is every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Last Sunday, Sunday school, we're in First Corinthians chapter 11. There were people in the church in Corinth who were taking communion with unrepentant hearts. They had not judged themselves rightly. They were treating sin lightly. They were living in sin. They were committing sins. They thought it's no big deal. And in doing that, they were treating what communion symbolizes as no big deal. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for sin. It's already been paid for. So what's the problem with us living in it? Notice there in 1 Corinthians 11 that taking communion didn't make them worthy. But their unworthiness defiled the celebration and God disciplined them for it. By doing this ritual, it didn't make them okay. 
Some of them were sick. Some of them died because of their sin. Taking communion didn't make them holy. Their sin affected the communion. For these people in Haggai, they were pretty much back in the same place that they were before the captivity. Listen to what God warned the pre-captivity Israelites of through Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. God said to them, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? You notice all those things he said he has no pleasure in. Those are all things he told them they were supposed to do. But they were doing them with wrong hearts. He says, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Going through all the motions, doing all the right things, but doing those things did not make them holy. Their lack of repentance defiled the things that they did. So all those things that God told them to do, doing them with dirty, blood-stained hands, made them an abomination to God. So for the post-exilic Israelites here in Haggai, come back to Jerusalem. God asked them to consider, again, think about this. Give this some serious thought. Verse 15, but now do consider. From this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. Which day is he talking about there? I believe what he means there is that day 16 years ago when they stopped working on the temple. After the foundation was done, but before they laid a stone on top of that foundation. During those 16 years when their priorities were all about themselves instead of God. Verse 16. From that time, when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would be only 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would be only 20. And so he's saying, do you remember for that 16 years, you had expectations. You thought things would be one way, but they were worse. Verse 17. I smote you. Notice that's God speaking. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. 
yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. It was 16 years. Consider this. Do you remember what it was like? They had the classic farmer complaint. Speaking from experience here. It was either too hot and too dry or too cold and too wet. All the time. For them, it really was. It was either too hot and too dry, everything burned up. It was too cold and too wet, and it rotted. And what didn't get burned up or rotted, the hail got. But never through those 16 years did they say to themselves, hey, maybe we ought to take God seriously again. those 16 years, consider. Do you remember what it was like? Then verses 18 and 19. He asked them to consider how things are now. you remember the last 16 years? How is it now? Now that they're doing the right thing, but they still hadn't repented and returned to God. He says, do consider from this day onward. And today, the 24th day of the ninth month, December 18th. From the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider. Is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree. It is not born fruit. So what about today? Look at the situation today, Israelites. These Things that he listed here in this verse, these are some of those late fall crops that they just got done harvesting. How was the harvest? Still wasn't good, was it? What about your seed that you're planning to plant for the next crop? Not looking too good, is it? Consider where you are today. Now, apparently, something happened that day. Something changed that day. And maybe it's indicated in from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded that something actually started happening there that wasn't going on before. I believe this was the day. This was the point where they repented. Because God says there at the end of verse 19, yet from this day on, I will bless you. you. Remember how things had been when your priorities were wrong. Notice how things have been up to this day when you haven't repented. But now, from this day on, I will bless you. What does this mean for us? I've tried over the past two Sundays to point out that for us, this is not a promise of physical or material prosperity if we get everything right. That's a not unpopular message today. It largely comes from misunderstanding of Old Testament. That if we today, as Christians, if we do everything just right, then God has to bless us. God has to prosper us. God has to make us healthy if we do all these things. That's not how this can be applied for us. 
for Israel. God promised them blessings and prosperity for their obedience and being right with him. For us today, there are some things from this passage that we can apply, that we can be assured of. One of those is that no matter what good we do or how much good, quote unquote, good you do, you will never find the right thing to do that will make you holy. You will never do enough of it to make you holy. We need to be right with God. And the only way we can be is by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone because of what he accomplished on the cross when he died there in our place when he rose again from the dead by grace through faith in him alone our sins are forgiven and we are given his righteousness to be made right with God it's all by grace if you are trusting in anything that you have done to make you acceptable with God your feet are standing in sinking sand. Jesus Christ is our only rock that we can stand on. It's all about what He did, not what we do. But from that position, if you are in Christ, your trust is in Him only and not in anything that you have done. And from that position, the service we do for the Lord does please him it stores up treasure in heaven still by grace and we never put God in our debt we never do anything that would force God to do anything for us God is never in our debt but we are always in his Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. We are always, will always be in debt. Debt that we can never pay to God's grace. Doing holy things, doing good things will never make us holy. Only by grace. Something else we can be sure of. It applies to us from this passage is that unrepentant sin makes a mess of everything. Like the people in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, taking communion in an unworthy way, treating sin lightly, that made a mess. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 7 that sin hinders our prayers. We can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit's working in us through our sin, according to Ephesians 4.30, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We can fail to experience the peace of God. We may have peace with God, but we may not be experiencing the peace of God if we're treating sin lightly, not repenting of it continually. We can keep ourselves from being as effective in our service to the Lord as we could be. That's what Paul was concerned about. He said that he, he beat his body into submission. Disciplined himself. 
Because he did not want sin to get in there and disqualify him from serving the Lord. Sin can keep us from serving the Lord as fully as we could. Sin makes a mess of things. So we need to consider. Consider your ways. Consider where our hearts are. Doing things is not going to make us right with God. If we're regarding sin in our hearts. Deeds never make us holy. Sin never does anybody any good. We must repent. Receive God's grace. That's our only hope. But that's enough. It's our only hope, but that's enough hope. To cover everything that we could ever need for all of eternity. All by grace.